0: You are listening to the Inside Out Podcast. Brent Kimball and Michael Anderson discuss all things living the gospel with those inside of the family of God and bringing the gospel to those outside of the family of God. Let's live Inside Out. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of the Inside Out Podcast. I'm here joined as always by Brent uh, and this episode is being released on good friday and today is such a a wonderful and sobering opportunity to look back and reflect on the sacrifice that christ made on the cross and i know that in years past we have done things for easter we've put out some kind of devotionals so for those of you who may have young children or families to kind of reflect on Uh, we haven't done something like that this year and so brent maybe a, a leading question to ask is is maybe people are listening to this podcast it's early in the day on friday what are some ways that we can reflect upon the the death of christ maybe individually and then also as a family as well now, I may have a couple of good resources to share that we've gone through for those with younger children, but just how, how can we initially start to reflect maybe, maybe personally? Sure. I think one of, maybe the,
1: maybe one of the best things that we could do, uh, and especially given the resources that are available to us with uh, uh, audio Bibles, it would be to, to um, just sit down, like in a living room setting where you're relaxed and you can just kind of take it in and play a couple of chapters out of one of the gospel accounts that tell of Christ's suffering, uh that go through the story of maybe from the from the the Last Supper scene and the Garden of Gethsemane and the and the arrest and the trial all the way through uh, and I would say all the way through the go- whatever that gospel account is, mm. and just as a just as a person or as a family to sit and listen to that. And I say that because I did that actually this morning. So we're obvious, we're always recording on Thursdays, and so I, I did that this morning. I just wanted to listen to the last several chapters of Luke's gospel, and and it just has such a a grounding effect. It has a um, it's stirring that's obviously it's it's a grotesque but uh glorious story easter is all about um god's love for his wayward creation and 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 then we have this this glistening picture of the love and power of god in jesus who is the solution to um to our problem and that he would go to such lengths to suffer as he did to die. And um, yeah, so I, I don't know, man, just listening to that was good for me today. Um, so that might be something for people to do on good Friday. It'd be a, uh, a worthy uh, whatever, whatever it even ends up being like maybe 15 or 20 minutes yeah. but, um, and maybe discussion and prayer could follow.
0: Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, and then if you're listening and you have ele- elementary age children or younger, um, there are a couple great resources for you. Of course, by the time you hear this, you couldn't order a physical book and have to be ready in time. There are Kindle versions available uh, online, of course, and one of the resources is called The Garden, The Curtain, and The Cross, and it is a resource for elementary age kids written by a gentleman named Carl Lafferton, and it talks about um, how sin has has barred our access to God. It starts with, of course, the fall in Genesis chapter 3 and recounts how there is an angel with, with a, a flaming sword outside of Eden to bar Adam and Eve's access back into the garden because of their sin and then it goes on to talk about the tabernacle and the temple and the curtain that was put in place and how these things functioned as a, as a big kind of keep out sign putting it in terms that kids can can understand and then of course it pointing ahead to the death of Jesus and how that curtain was torn and now we have access and and highlights um, the reconciliation that has taken place and so it's a great resource for those with with children as well and and um, just highlighting sort of uh, just how how somber that day was and so when we do it as a family uh, we have a real muted toned down atmosphere so just kind of kind of turning down all the lights and eliminating all the distractions and, and trying to stay focused for as long as we can. And I kind of joke with people that our, our family Bible studies and our devotional time usually turns into Bible study followed that turns into a wrestling match. And Mm -hmm. so um, it's not as if we have to keep attention for 30 minutes or, or, or longer. Um, But definitely, definitely we want to head that direction, right? We want to train train our children in that direction to be able to sit and and meditate and reflect um, for a considerable period of time, especially on a day like Good Friday. And so uh, that's a resource that we have used in the past. Of course, one of the things we give out to families is the Jesus Storybook Bible, and that's always a great resource as well. And I know for me as a parent, one of the things that I really appreciate are resources that not only draw my children's hearts toward God, but also mine as well. So I'm not just reading mindless rhymes to children, but but it's impacting me as well as I'm going through these things. And so that's a big part of the things that I recommend and the things that I use for, for my family as well. And so avail yourself of that this Good Friday. It's always, always good, always good to spend some time together as a family doing that. You know, one of the things that um, I, I'm concerned about that's being lost um, in our culture that maybe people are shying away from is, is the idea that Jesus' death um, functioned as a substitute for us. And I think we saw that a couple years ago. There was a great controversy over the song In Christ Alone. Are you familiar with the song In Christ Alone? You're asking me? Yes. Yes, I am
1: familiar <laughs> with that song.
0: So, that's a, that was a modern hymn, and there was a denomination that wanted to put it in their hymnal, and um, they had a problem with one of the lines of the song that said, uh, on the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. They wanted to change the wording of that to, then on the cross, as Jesus died, the love of God was magnified. So there was they had a major problem with the idea of the wrath of God being satisfied. Now, this the idea of the wrath of God, uh, there's a theological term called penal substitutionary atonement. Brent, why do you think that people have a hard time embracing kind of that theological position? Hmm.
1: Um so the the blunt answer is because they are at least leaning toward liberal theology okay right which would um which would re-image God away from what we see in the Bible and away from what we see in historical Christianity shaping him into um into the God that we would rather him to be mm-hmm. um, and so I I mean, bottom line is, this is a, this is a deviation from historical Christianity. And uh, the idea that God's wrath is stirred by sin is laced throughout the Bible. It would be remarkable if a guy could go through, and, like in a fresh Bible, mm-hmm. go through the whole Bible and underline or highlight the parts that, um, that, high, that, you know, that bring out the, the wrath of God. It is, it's not something to be ignored. It would be, it's very difficult to overlook. Yeah. And so I think that the reason people are um, leaning away from that is because they don't want God to be that way. But the only way we know God is by revelation, by special revelation, his His word, right? The collected oracles or the collected sayings of God in his word. And so... We're making them up if it's not um, coming out of the Bible.
0: Yeah. I read somebody who said, in the beginning, God made man in his image. And ever since then, man has been trying to return the favor. I Meaning, yeah. we've been trying to create God in our own image. And yeah. So yeah. I, I think some people have such a hard time with the idea of the wrath of God because of just that. They are overlaying their own experience when they get angry, when they respond harshly to the way that God would respond, yeah. And it, when you look at it that way, of course people are going to be confused. Of course people are going to want to change that reality of, of scripture,
1: right? Because they see that when they think of wrath, their mental their mental uh, framework is somebody that is flying off the handle and expressing anger in an un, um, unreserved, uh, uncontrolled way. Mm -hmm. right but that's not god's wrath is not that right yeah his he is his anger is is stirred and his wrath is always an expression of justice yeah it is it is god never giving more or less than what is deserved
0: Mm -hmm. and i and i think that there are some some people have tried to to make analogies as to what this looks like and probably misrepresented things in some ways. So I'm thinking about, have, have you ever heard the, the illustration of the, like the railroad conductor? Have you heard of that before? I don't like know. There was, so this is how people have tried to explain this idea of, of atonement. They've said, you know, liken God to this, this father who was uh, this, this railroad operator and, and his son is with him and his son was playing on the tracks and he had to make a decision on like switching the tracks between all these people in the train and his own son. I'm like butchering this this analogy, but basically well, he had to choose it's, between, ca-
1: it's I'm getting familiar now. Yeah, I'm he, remembering. He yes. had to
0: choose between sacrificing his son to save all these people or saving his son and Sacrificing all these people and some people like you could look look this up on YouTube and find it um, some people have said that's you know God the Father sacrificed his own son to save all these people but that's such a poor analogy because that that presents the son as this passive spectator in his own his own death as if he had no choice or say in the matter whatsoever yeah. and so I think sometimes those views have been uh, misrepresented and, and and presented in, in poor analogies that have not done it justice whatsoever.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cause Jesus was certainly not a, he, he, this was a voluntary thing. He chose, he's not being forced by any stretch. He chose to become our substitute. So let's go back to the phrase. It's cause it's kind of a, a mouthful yeah. penal substitutionary atonement. Atonement is the idea of, of uh, rubbing out Sin, right, mm-hmm. the covering over of sin and um and uh but it and the idea of the first word penal it means there's a penalty there's a there's a penalty for sin, mm-hmm. and that penalty was paid for though we are culpable we're we are guilty before God and accountable to him for our sin Jesus stepped in took that penalty as our substitute and atoned for our sin by his own blood this is where we get the idea the the theological concept concept of propitiation right there Mm -hmm. are lots of people who wish that word wasn't in the bible um one because they can't say it it's hard to pronounce (laughs) but also because it's hard to define um but in in historical christianity uh Propitiation is the idea of satisfying uh, God's wrath was satisfied by Jesus' sacrificial death, his suffering and his death. So, a reading of Isaiah fifty-three would be really helpful mm-hmm. for that. And there's so many those there's so many um, passages of Scripture throughout the Bible, and an easy search. Uh, on Google a quick I should say a quick search on Google would would bring that out right the apostle Peter said for Christ also suffered once for sins he suffered for sins right the righteous for the unrighteous so he's suffering on our behalf that's the he's suffering the suffering is because there's a penalty for sin He's suffering the righteous for the unrighteous. That is the substitutionary part that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. That, mm-hmm. that There you get the idea of atonement. We're, he, we're able to come to God now because our sin has been atoned for. Yeah. Uh, Galatians says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For was written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So There's so many. I, I, I would... I wish we could just take time. Christ sure. himself became the propitiation for our sins. That's what John wrote. Yeah. Uh, but not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world, which right there is like that's one of those verses that um, that somebody who believes in limited atonement would have a difficult, they have a difficult time with that, mm-hmm. and rightly so, because it says what it says.
0: Yeah, Right. exactly, exactly. And I, I think that this is, this is made more powerful when you view it through the lens of progressive revelation. The idea that God's story is, is unfolded throughout history. And so an author that you and I uh, both read, a pastor named Kevin DeYoung, um, he, he made a statement in, in one of his books. He said, all, all good theology begins in Genesis. Yeah. And, and if you look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 20, so the fall takes place. Adam and Eve are um, are before God. He pronounces, he pronounces the curse, but also this promise that that someone is coming, uh, the snake crusher is coming. But then there's this little verse as an aside in Genesis three twenty. So the man, or three twenty one, excuse me, it says and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. And it just we're reading through Genesis. You're in your Bible plan, and it's almost a nice little aside, and you pass by it and. And kind of go on to more things. But you look at that verse and you go, in order for Adam and Eve to be clothed, something had to die. God mm-hmm. made them clothes out of, out of skin. And so that, that sets up an arrow that runs throughout Scripture. And you mentioned earlier that people who deny penal substitutionary atonement they're they're tending toward or, or running toward a liberal theology. And, and they would argue that Christ's death was merely, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but it was merely representative. And they would say that, like as an example. And so they would cite maybe 1 John 3, 16, where it says, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, so we should also do for our brothers. Mm-hmm. And so they pull that out of its context and say, look, it was just... An example, but when you can look at the entire biblical storyline, like you're saying, I mean, if we had time to go through each and every single book, we could pull out all these different examples of where we see this in Scripture. It's really, really powerful.
1: Let's close with this thought, Michael. So we're preaching through the the letter to the Hebrews. We're finishing up chapter six this week. Uh, interestingly enough, it is not your traditional Easter passage. And I'm actually mm-hmm. kind of wrestling with that a little bit okay. in my own soul. But it is it is an Easter passage in a way because it highlights uh, who Jesus is for us, what he's done for us in his death and resurrection. So, I mean, that's, that's all great. As we get further in the year, we get into chapter 12 of the letter to the Hebrews, following the heroes of the faith chapter, that we'll spend some, mm-hmm. a good deal of time in in the fall. Um, Hebrews 12 starts out and it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, referring back to all those people that were listed, the men and women that, that had uh, believed God and patiently waited for his promises, he says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us And then verse 2 says, looking to Jesus. One translation says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And then this is the line that is always just so remarkable. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So obviously we'll preach that text when we get to it. But just for our listeners to reflect on this, this Good Friday and throughout this weekend, we want to fix our eyes on Jesus. Yeah. Jesus is the author or founder and the finisher or perfecter of our faith. And what we're told in this passage is that he did not, in en- obviously did not enjoy the cross. There was joy though that was set before him. Mm-hmm. And because of that joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. It was something that was Beyond our ability to comprehend or explain what he endured in his suffering prior to the cross and on the cross in his crucifixion, but he endured that for the joy that was set before him, and we're told that he despised the shame of it. It was so shameful to think, to think about what he did. I mean, we can't even imagine, we can't even hardly imagine ourselves going through something like that. Especially if we were innocent and we were doing it for people who, um, we were doing it for people not who loved us. We loved them, but they didn't love us. They, yeah. they were, they were um, opposed to us, had enmity with us. And yet he endured it. He despised the shame of it, but he was victorious. He died and rose again and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And that's where we, we started the letter to the Hebrews with that picture that yes. that's where Jesus is. He's seated at the right hand of God. And we still have that same picture all the way into chapter 12. So we remember what he's done on our behalf on Good Friday. And then we celebrate Easter Sunday that he came out of the grave and we acknowledge that he's alive and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. All of his work done and we're invited to come to him and trust him entirely. So I hope that it's a good Easter uh, uh, weekend, a good good and meaningful good Friday for everybody. And uh, then we'll see on Sunday morning.